Well, good morning, everyone. Let's turn to our Bibles, and we are carrying on the series that I'm preaching to you in, which is in the letter of Ephesians. And Ephesians, if you have a visitor's Bible, is on page 977. And we're in Ephesians chapter 3, from verses 1 to 13. Ephesians chapter 3, from verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray before we uh, look at this passage together. Father God, we thank you for your word and for this space that you have given us to, to listen to you speak through it this morning. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would use uh, my weakness to build your church, to build one another up in love uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in the early church, Paul, who's the writer of this letter, was an influencer. And if you've never heard of an influencer, let me update you. <laughs> Basically... They're people with loads, and I mean millions, of followers on social media. And companies or industries who have a product they want to sell, they give it to these people called influencers, and they promote it and show people uh, the product. And I actually Googled it to see if there's a definition. I got this. An influencer is someone in your niche or industry with sway over your target audience. Influencers have specialized knowledge authority or insight into a specific subject. In this sense, 
Paul, in the early church, was an influencer. And for influencers, their image is important, who they are and what they're doing. And if you notice in our passage, there is a surprising amount about Paul and in the letter as a whole. But what we learn from this information is that he's very different to normal influencers. Uh, In fact, if you look at verse uh, 8, he calls himself the least of all the saints. Paul emphasizes that his specialized knowledge and authority comes from God. Not a company trying to sell uh, their new food product or clothing item, but from God himself working through Paul. And another way Paul is different to influencers today is in the way he's so transparent about his, uh, and honest about his reality, uh, his unattractive situation as a prisoner. Sometimes you get those funny pictures side by side uh, of influencers where you get a picture of them posing behind a really neat background and everything's looking perfect. Then you get another picture that shows it from a different angle and all of their laundry, their boxes of pizza, their clutter, their rubbish, maybe even the cat has all been pushed to the side just to get this this perfect image of something that's better than reality. But Paul gives us the reality. He's open and he's transparent about his his imprisonment and his suffering. Uh, And I want to suggest he's not just open with the Ephesians about this reality, but it's a really important part of his message to them. Let me show you that. Chapter 3, verse 1, he calls himself, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. And then chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then chapter 6, finally, just moving to the end, 19 and 20, uh, he's talking about asking uh, for help and supplication in, in prayer, that, his, that words would be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an, an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Again and again, Paul connects his suffering Uh, with them and their benefit. And then in in what the Bible translators call uh, final greetings, if you look at uh, verse 21 and 22, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Uh, And I think that sounds very similar to our passage today. Do you remember verse 13? I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So what's going on here? Well, you might remember uh, another final greeting, which is the one that Paul had with the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20. And as he said uh, goodbye to them, he gave them a warning, a warning that uh, wolves would rise up and cause great harm to the flock. 
And wolves in the Bible language usually means false teachers or a point of authority or a leader, uh, someone with great influence who is causing harm to God's children. And I think the, uh, the reason Paul is writing this letter is because those wolves have come. There are influences down on the ground in Ephesus, and they are trying to take them away from the message Paul preached. Who are these wolves? Well, uh, if you look at verse 1 of our passage in chapter 3, there is the word for, and we should always ask, what is the for, therefore? Well, in chapter 2, Paul's been speaking about the Jews and the Gentiles, how they've been brought together, and the Gentiles are authentically God's people. It doesn't matter that they grew up without being circumcised or without going to the synagogue or making sacrifices. In Christ, they are 100% authentically God's people, which is kind of an odd thing to, to be speaking about, I think. I read somewhere that the Ephesians have been Christians for about five years. That's, that's roughly the same as me. But I, I'm not worrying if I'm authentically a Christian just because I didn't grow up in a Christian home or because I was an atheist most of my life, because I did a lot of harm to my soul. Because when I turned to Jesus and I asked forgiveness, when I called him king over my life, then I became as an authentic a child of God as anyone. And if you're sitting here today and you're, you're still thinking about Jesus, about God, and you're not quite sure, well, today you could turn to him and instantly you would be 100% his child inheriting all the promises, and, mem and a member of the same body as all of us here today. But going back to Ephesians, why might authenticity be a problem for these Gentiles? Well, I reckon there's Jewish influences down on the ground saying all kind of, kinds of things that make them doubt that they're the real deal. And it would be so easy for these Jewish leaders, uh, teachers, priests, these influential people to point to Paul and say, the thing that you heard from Paul, it must be nonsense. Just look at him. Look at where it's got him. He's in prison. He's in chains. He's suffering. Can't be true. Maybe they think, look, you know, it's a joke that you can, you can avoid all the stuff that we do, the system, the institution, the religion, and you can just, just through faith, become a people of God. That can't be true. And so these bad influences, they're also connecting Paul's suffering with the, the Ephesians, but in a bad way. Uh, and these these people are a big deal. They're, they're probably powerful, very influential. And surely that would leave these uh, young Christians feeling discouraged, losing heart, probably uh, losing heart in Paul, his message, maybe in church, and maybe even in God himself. We've got to be careful about who's influencing us. That's the, that's the big take-home, I think, for today. So, knowing this is going on, I think we have Paul in his prison cell, uh, who, if you look down to verse 14, is about to get down on his knees and pray for these Ephesians. And he thinks, he thinks of this church in Ephesus, and he thinks, 
If only you could see yourself through my eyes. Right now you're full of doubt, you're discouraged, and you're losing heart. But if you could see yourselves as God's church, chosen in eternity, forgiven by the blood of Christ, sealed forever by the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't lose heart. You are the real deal. And then he ramps it up. He thinks, if only you could see yourselves through the eyes of angels, because when they see the church, and I'm I'm getting this from verse 10 if you look down, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, which I take to mean angels, they see the manifold wisdom of God. And we'll unpack what that phrase means later, but basically when they see the church, they see the very wisdom of God. Something of who God is and what God is doing. Isn't that amazing? Yes, Paul says, I am in prison. I am suffering, but I ask you, I plead to you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Instead, see the church through my eyes and see the church through angels' eyes. And these are our two points this morning. So point one, and our our first point is really about the authenticity of Paul's ministry, uh, and therefore the the authenticity of of who his disciples are in Christ. Paul says, what I tell you comes with authority because it was first given to me by God. Let's let's reread verses two to five. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Everything given to Paul was given by God, and not to anyone else in any other generation, not even these Jewish leaders and priests, only to the apostles and prophets. Did you notice that in verse 5? The mystery of Christ revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God. The authority of the apostles and the the, the prophets, this was also mentioned in chapter 2, verse 20. So I think it's a deliberate contrast of authority between people like Paul Uh, and the other apostles, and these wolves, who are the bad influencers. And I think the word assuming in verse 2 comes with a sense of irony. Assuming, you've heard, because they're either acting like they've forgotten, or they can't hear Paul's words over the sound of barking wolves. And the thing that was revealed to Paul, and the message he promotes with authority is, verse 6, the gospel itself. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel, bringing people together from all walks of life, from different backgrounds, those who went to a a really good school, those like me who barely went to school, all kinds of people who are brought together as the same body embraced by God in his Son 
Jesus Christ. This is the mystery revealed to Paul and not to other generations, not to the wolves, no one other than, than who the Spirit has revealed it to. I think it's a bit like God invited Paul into his art studio and in the middle of the room there sits an easel with a, with a canvas-shaped blanket or a veil. And God says, come over here, Paul, and God lifts up the veil and he reveals this, this canvas. And God says, this is my masterpiece. And what Paul sees is you and me and every Christian we've ever known, every single Christian across space and time, this is God's masterpiece. And Paul says, of this gospel, of this masterpiece, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, how do we apply this to ourselves today? Who are the wolves in 2023? Well, when we think of wolves, we might picture big, scary people who are very obviously trying to do us harm and will obviously leave us discouraged and losing heart in Jesus, in church, uh, in fellowship with our brothers and sisters. When in fact, I don't think wolves are usually like that. The bad influences in our lives can often be people who love and care for us. If I think back to when I was looking into things, Christian-wise, the bad influences in my life were actually my closest friends, my family, my girlfriends. And because they were non-Christians, they didn't have a single good thing to say about Christ about church, about Paul, or about other Christians, perhaps especially. So I'm, I'm afraid we, we need to be on guard and switched on, thinking, who am I being influenced by? Now, I don't want anyone to go away today in fear, thinking, crikey, I can't listen to anyone. I want everyone to go away clutching at the wisdom that it's the, is the Bible itself. Clutching at Paul's words inspired by the Holy Spirit. Listening to the Holy Spirit. And listening to each of us, your brothers and sisters at church who you can listen to. And if you're here today, and, and actually this, what this message is doing for you, it's it's striking you about uh, your doubt that you're the real deal. Am I actually God's child? Then I say, hear the Holy Spirit. Hear me. He, hear each of us. If you believe and follow Jesus, then you are the real deal. And all of us, we, we are all members of the same uh, body through that. And we're here to encourage you and say, don't lose heart. Keep going. Christ is king. God is good. And that takes us to our second point this morning. Our first point was about authority. Our second point is about unity. I wonder if part of the problem to try and get in the mindset of, of wolves is, is finding it hard to believe 
that in a community like this, with such different people, there could be peace and unity, that it could be the place where God lives. And we can kind of empathize with that, that doubt, that curiosity, because getting a, a group of people together who have no earthly reason to get along, let alone come together week in and week out and love each other, that probably seems impossible looking in. And yet that is exactly what the church is about and what God is doing in the church. That's why when angels look upon the church in heavenly places, they see the very wisdom of God. Paul, he's spoken a lot about himself. But uh, if you notice in verse 8, uh, he is quick to say that yes, Christ has given him the authority to preach the gospel, but it's not about the specialness of Paul, but the specialness of Christ. That's who he preaches to the Gentiles, all who Christ is and what he gives to the church. Christ, who is the reason this impossible thing actually works. That's what Paul means by the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable meaning unfathomable, uh, never-ending. You can never get to the bottom of, and of course riches means the great value of, the great great treasure. A never-ending treasure trove is what Christ gives to his church. And when these riches of Christ are received, it will come to light to everyone, verse 9, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? I think Paul is saying when the gospel is preached and souls are saved and once sinful creatures are turned into holy saints by the blood of Christ, They are adorned with the glorious treasures of Christ to make them holy, to sustain them, to bring them to glory, so that, verse 10, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Before trying to uh, tie this together, Let's unpack this phrase, manifold wisdom of God. What does that mean? Well, manifold literally means many-colored, like a many-colored garment. Think patchwork blanket, many different things. And wisdom in the Bible is often connected to living in a godly way, choosing the way of wisdom instead of foolishness. And so I think we ha- uh, what we have is a picture of God's masterpiece that he revealed to Paul. That's what the rulers and uh, authorities in the heavenly places see when they look at the church. They think, wow, look at what God has done. A church adorned in the riches of Christ. It reveals God's wisdom to the angels because they see something impossible, something no one else has to offer No amount of money on earth could buy. Something every spiritual section in every bookshop promises. Every guru, every spiritual master, every single 
yoga and meditation class looks to achieve, what everyone else in this building is trying to get at now, at this time. People from all walks of life, from different backgrounds, all coming together as a community, and they love each other. And this is, verse 11 and 12, God's eternal purpose, realized in Christ. How annoying it must seem to some people to look at this bunch of misfits, some wealthy, some poor, all kinds of past lives, as many achievements as failures. And yet here is where God brings peace. He brings people together. He brings love, brings his presence and lives and moves amongst us. Certainly the Jewish leaders of the day would have been extremely annoyed to see Gentiles considering themselves as authentic people of God who have access to him, to all his treasures and riches, inheriting all the blessings of God as his children. When I, when I think back to some of uh, my friends and people who are around me who, who pushed back on the idea of me being a Christian, well, maybe they were just concerned about me. But when you see the church through angels' eyes in heavenly places, you realize that being part of the body of Christ is the best thing for anyone. If they're really concerned, they'll be pushing me into it. But if we listen to the wrong people, if we're influenced by the wrong people, then we'll just lose heart in what we're doing in Christ, in God, in church. So please don't. Let us promise to one another to keep each other close, keep encouraging each other, reminding each other daily of how amazing God is. Let's be the biggest influencers in each other's lives. And let's keep praying for each other. As we will see, Paul does at the end of chapter 3, and what we'll look at our next time in Ephesians. So before we, we sing as the Lord's church and we praise him, let's pray to him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have not left us with ways to make this thing called church work, but that you have given us by your Holy Spirit all the words and the wisdom that we need, that you have given your spirit to live in our hearts. We pray this morning with everything that you have spoken to us, you would unite us together, tie us together, and pray that you would move us to embrace each one another this morning, that we would be the biggest influencers on each other's lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.